My name is Tim, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hydrant Church, and I just want to welcome you to this time together online as we worship, as we encounter God in music, as we, as we interact with Him in prayer, as we come together around His Word. Today is a very special day. Today is known as the Day of Pentecost, and for the church, it is the pivotal moment in our story. It is one of the key moments in the story of God's interaction with humanity. Everything changed for us on Pentecost. Everything changed and the kingdom of God was opened up to us in a new way. We were invited to join in to what he is doing in the world in a new way on Pentecost. The word Pentecost just refers to 50 days. It was a celebration in the history of Israel. And it's a moment when, when Jesus' disciples were gathered together waiting. You see, Jesus was crucified and he was buried. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And after, after being raised, he met with his disciples over the course of 40 days, he saw some 500 people. And during this time, he was reminding them of the things that he had taught them. He was reminding them of the things he had done. He was showing them the real meaning of what had happened. And after 40 days, we find recorded both in Luke and Acts, this moment in time when Jesus leaves earth. He leaves his disciples behind. Now he leaves them with a promise, a promise that he would send the comforter, that he would send his spirit to them. But after he was raised, his disciples stood just staring at the sky. Apparently they stared for a long time, almost as if they were wondering if he was going to come back to them in that moment. They stared so long and they waited so long, kind of still wondering what to do next, what they were supposed to do, what life looked like now that Jesus was gone, that they sent messengers, we call them angels, but they sent messengers to remind them, listen, he told you to go to Jerusalem and wait. And so they went to Jerusalem and for 10 days they waited and they prayed. During that time, they selected a 12th to take Judas Iscariot's place among the leaders of the movement. But as they waited and prayed, they came to the day of Pentecost. And we find what happened that day recorded in the book of Acts. And if you go to your Bibles or your Bible apps, Acts chapter 2, beginning right at the beginning. Now I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And there we find these words. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly... Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And, and then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It's really interesting to me that as I think about the early church, that they were fueled by the Holy Spirit. Nothing that they accomplished was accomplished 
apart from the Holy Spirit. It's so easy for us today to get into the routines of life together as the church that when those can get disrupted or when they get taken away or we're not sure how to engage them in, the, in them anymore, we're not sure who we are as the church. But if we can do anything we do as the church without the Spirit, then it's not the work of the church. You see, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. Nothing happened for the church until the Holy Spirit showed up and broke in and began to work in his people. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is he, he is the purifier. This language of, a, of tongues of fire or, or flames that settled on each individual person is this reminder that each of us have this relationship with Jesus, that we each are, are called to walk with him in a way that he purifies us. He purifies us from the inside out, that he does a, a work in our soul to purify us of the sin and rebellion and the desire to do things our way instead of God's way. He purifies our minds. He has a ability to work and reshape and to work in our minds until we begin to think the way that Jesus thought. We see Paul write about it later in Philippians that have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. We are called to allow the Holy Spirit to purify our, our minds and our emotions, that he begins to do a work in us, healing and purifying and setting us free from the anger and the bitterness and the brokenness and the need for control and the fear that can dominate our lives. These men and women were hiding when the Spirit showed up. But having been purified of the fear, purified of the anxiety, purified of the failures of the past, they step out boldly. And we need to submit to the purification of the Holy Spirit. You see, if, if we look at our lives and we look at the word of God and we see that there are places where there is a misalignment, where we have owned things and we have allowed things in our lives and we have, we have allowed um, attitudes and actions and addictions and fears to, to work in our lives that God says are not a part of what it means to be his people, then it's time to let the spirit have control. It's time for us to surrender and submit our desires and our fears and our sin and our addiction to the work of the Spirit so that we can, can be used by the Spirit. Because not only do we see that He purifies us in verse 3, but if we go to verse 4, that He is the one who gave them the ability to speak in these other languages. He empowers us to do the work of the church. All throughout the New Testament, there is this language of spiritual gifts, this language in which the Spirit gives the church and the members of the church individually gifts and abilities to do the work that He's called us to do together. He gives some gifts of faith and some gifts of teaching and some gifts of service and all kinds of gifts that come together to make us who we are. It's not about what we can do on our own. It's about what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do together. He goes first, he initiates, he purifies, and he empowers, 
and then he moves us out. You see, if we keep reading in in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, we read this. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How could this be? They exclaimed, and the the people are, all of these people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and the province of Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Now there were others who were ridiculing them and saying they were drunk. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. And he begins to preach this message as he tells them what the Holy Spirit has done and points them back to Jesus. We find in this moment that the Holy Spirit is the one who moved them out in mission. We have a tendency to think it's about us, to think it's about what we do in the building that makes the church the church. But the church is the church when the Holy Spirit has purified it and empowered it and sent it out. It will move us. The Holy Spirit is like a wind who is pushing and moving us. Years ago, I was, uh, I was standing in a prayer walk. I'd come to this one particular station along the edge and there was a breeze that was blowing. And as I was taking those moments to pray, I, f- I felt the Holy Spirit remind me of what the life of a believer is like, and what my life would be like. He was helping me to understand what I should expect. And he gave me this image of a sailboat without a rudder, no way to control its own direction. And he basically said, your life is like this sailboat. And I will tell you, when to raise the sail and when to lower it, when to put down your anchor and when to raise it. I will be the one who moves you where I want you to go. And that's true of all of us. We are dependent on the Spirit of God to move us like a mighty wind where He wants us. We are dependent on His direction and His leadership. Because if we if we attach a motor or a rudder and we try to make ourselves go, where we want to go, and we try to make things happen that we think ought to happen, we find ourselves in more and more heartache, causing ourselves more and more pain and trouble. We have to learn as the church to depend on the movement and the timing and the activity of the Holy Spirit. The church is launched by the power and the initiative of the Holy Spirit. And it's built, it's built on the life and teachings of Jesus. It never gets away 
from the life and death and resurrection and the teachings of Jesus. Even as Peter stands up and he begins to teach on this first Pentecost and he begins to call people out and invite them to encounter God, we are brought to verses 22 to 24. In Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, it says this, and this is Peter in the, as, as he is beginning to wind down his message that day. He says this, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. <laughs> Got this kind of, here's what you did. God spoke and showed us that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the one we've been waiting for. Jesus is the one that can set any of us free. He's the one that can open up the possibility of a new life. And when you met Jesus, you betrayed him. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God, <laughs> but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Death could not keep him in its grip. We see here that that Peter is reminding us first of the things that Jesus did and the things that he taught by the miracles and the teachings and the moments they had spent with him. He's trying to remind them of the last three years and every encounter, every time they'd listened to him teach, every time they had seen him heal, every time they had encountered him, set someone free from sin or the powers of this world, that he was the one who was changing everything. The church is built on Jesus. It's not built on a gathering. It's not built on a pastor. It's not built on a staff. It is built on Jesus. It is moved and initiated by the Holy Spirit and dependent on the, the power of the gospel, the power of what Jesus has said and done. It is by him, no matter what we have done, he is the one who has been raised. And it's by the power of his resurrection that new life happens. New life happens in any of us. When we have been broken and beaten down and left for nothing, he is the one who brings new life. When we are at the end of our rope and we're not sure what to do next, he is the one who brings new life. When we have wasted moment after moment after moment, he is the one who brings new life. When we're surrounded by uncertainty, when we are surrounded by questions, when we are surrounded by people grabbing for power and attention, He is the one who brings new life. When we'd rather be afraid, when anxiety knocks at the door, when depression calls out our name, He is the one who brings new life. Our church, the church is built on the teachings, the truth, the life, the resurrection of Jesus. Now we're sustained as we participate in that story, as we join in on that story. John Wesley called them the means of grace. They are the ways that we interact with grace, the ways that we practically place ourselves in a position to encounter God. 
We look back again at Acts chapter 2, we see that, that Peter finishes his message and thousands believe and the church is formed that day. Now, as we come to verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, we find, we find the activity of this early church. Now, I wonder if we were to make a, a, a little description of what the church does today, what would we write? How would we describe the church? And I wonder how in line it is with what the early church saw as important. Beginning at verse 42, we read these words. All the believers devoted themselves, not passively, not kind of looked at it once in a while, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared what they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Those who were meeting Jesus, those who were joining the kingdom. You see, the first thing they devoted themselves to, the way that they described the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the things that Jesus taught them to do. They were devoted to the, to the belief and the conviction that we are here to love others the way that Jesus loved us. They understood that they were called to love God with all their heart, mind, body, and soul. They understood this calling to, to live in their marriages and in their workplaces and in their communities as those who were marked by love. They were known as Jesus followers because of the way they loved. They were devoted to the teachings and understanding and letting that fuel and define their lives. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to, to being on their knees. They were devoted to the conversation with God and submitting themselves to the will and the direction and the wisdom of God versus what they think they ought to do in any moment in time. They were devoted to eating together. They were devoted to this need to come together and eat, to not only participate in the Lord's Supper, in this act of communion of the bread and the cup, but they were devoted. They were devoted to coming together to share that meal as they were shaped into family. They were devoted to meeting the needs of those around them, doing whatever it took to serve those around them. And because they served, because they were devoted to love, they grew. But they didn't just grow in numbers. Sometimes in church we think big church, big uh, activities big is better and we want lots of numbers and sometimes that's why we struggle to want to be together to see how significant our work is but the early church they grew first in maturity they grew in their devotion to God in their devotion to the teaching they grew in unity they came together they grew in favor with those around them 
You see, they serve those around them. They earn the reputation as people who could be trusted, people who put the community first, people who loved and served those who could do nothing for them. And then God added to their numbers. The church is fueled, is initiated, is moved, is purified by the Spirit. We are built on the life and resurrection and the truth of Jesus. We are sustained as we come together around the means of grace that will produce a growth in us, in maturity, in unity, in favor, and eventually in numbers. Today is the day the church begins. Today is the day we remember who we are by going back to the beginning. Yes, we miss gathering in this place together. We miss being able to embrace, but the day is coming soon and we can still be committed to who we are as the church. We don't need this building, though we will use it as much as possible. We need the Spirit. We need to be built on Jesus and we need the sustaining means of grace to live out our identity and our mission as the church. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are in awe of you. We are in need of you. We are so thankful for that moment when you poured out your spirit on us and it was spilled out on all men and women and children called, empowered, and released to do your work. You connect with us, you fill us, and you send us out to overflow. And we pray today for the church as it gathers or doesn't gather all around the world. We pray, God, that we will be the church you called us into being for, that we would be the church for the community, that we would be the church for those who need you, that we would be the church that loves and serves and lays down our life for others. God, would you receive glory? Would you receive honor in all that the church does today? And today, God, I pray that you would lift up new leaders and new churches all around the world, that you would bring those who are, who are given a vision and a heart to start new churches, that they would lean into this moment of Pentecost as the moment when they are fueled by your spirit. Would they build on that cornerstone of Jesus and would you sustain them as they practice what it is your people? Would you receive glory? Would you receive honor? Would all of our lives be devoted to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in this weekend to worship. We realize now more than ever how important it is for us to stay connected. So I want to encourage you to text in to 919-888-4401. And you can join us in supporting what's happening here at Hydrant and in our community. We've made it really easy for you to set up automated giving on our app and on our website. Know that you are loved. Have a great week.